Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Say What Again Billy podcast. This past week, I found myself doing what I normally do, and that's going through my normal routine of work, gym, home, family stuff, father stuff, and then I lay in bed at night after everything is done, showered, and I had dinner, and my daughter's in bed, and I was laying in bed watching the Travel Channel. That's pretty much how I end every night. I tune in, see what's on, and just get my daily dose of... The Travel Channel, which is predominantly now paranormal. Except for last night, I actually watched and they had a lot of Anthony Bourdain shows on. um, And the Zimmerman guy, you know, all that food stuff. So I did find an episode this week on a show, which I didn't get the show's name because I tuned in right in the middle of it. And they were talking about King Tut, King Tutankhamun, which everybody knows the importance and how big of an archaeological find King Tut was. And they actually were mentioning within the episode about King Tut's curse, alleged curse. And I said, I haven't really seen or heard too many shows talk about curses. So in my podcast this week, I will be talking about curses. As per Wikipedia, the definition of a curse is a curse is any expressed wish that some form of adversity or misfortune will be full or attached to one or more persons or an object. Now, anybody can go and say to another person, you are now cursed. And it's that person that heard that to acknowledge they are cursed, believe it, um, and live their life saying, oh my God, I'm cursed, or just be like, this is a bunch of BS. I strongly feel that a person's mind is very powerful. If you think you have bad luck, you are going to have bad luck. If you wake up in the morning and say, today is going to be a bad day, you are going to have a bad day. Anything will bother you. If you wake up in the morning and say, today is going to be a great day, you probably will have a great day because you already put that in your head that you're going to have a good day. Same thing with waking up saying, I'm going to have a bad day. And if in life, you're a positive person, which I try to live my life, especially in the past three years because I, things I've been through, I try to be positive. I try to look at the positives and have a just a great day and a great next day and all that going forward. So if a person says that to you, I guess it's really up to the person that heard from the person wishing wrongdoings on you to whether to believe it or not. And um, that's my belief on curses. I feel that if you believe you're cursed and you are dumb enough to believe it, you're going to really have things happen to you and you're going to be like, oh, it's because this person said I'm cursed. That's what's going to happen. But I digress. I'm going to get into um, the whole King Tut curse and go on to a couple of famous archaeological finds that apparently had curses involved with it. Now, I'm going to reference here HistoryChannel.com. In February of 1923, a British archaeological team opened King Tut's tomb, a 14th century pharaoh. Two months later, when the team's sponsor died of a bacterial infection, British newspapers claimed, without any evidence, the sponsor died from a curse. So, reading that from HistoryChannel.com, the British newspapers kind of knew that this was a big thing. Like, basically uncovering a big find like that, let's amp it up a bit, 
and say that the team sponsor died from a curse of this Egyptian pharaoh. Now, you know, newspapers, especially today, and that's just my belief, newspapers and media, they tend to take things and either give you the story for what it is, fact for fact, or kind of elevate things that may not be true, but throw it into the report to catch your attention. So this is what the British newspaper did when this team member or the sponsor of the team that found King Tut's tomb, they took it upon themselves to amp up the death of the team sponsor and say it was a curse. Now I'm going to read something from uh, Wikipedia about Tutankhamun's curse. The belief in a curse was brought to many people's attention due to the deaths of a few members of Howard Carter's team and other prominent visitors to the tomb shortly thereafter. Carter's team opened the tomb In 1923, launching modern-day Egyptology, the famous Egyptologist James Henry Breasted worked with Carter soon after first opening the tomb. He reported how Carter sent a message on a messenger on an errand to his house. On approaching his home, the messenger thought he heard a faint and almost human cry. Upon reaching the entrance, he saw a barricade occupied by a cobra, the symbol of Egyptian monarchy. Carter's canary had died in his mouth, and this fueled locals' uh, rumors of a curse. Uh, I'm not good with names. I'm going to butcher it because I actually messed up that last sentence because I saw this name, and I definitely don't know how to pronounce it. Um, Arthur Wiggle, a previous inspector general of antiquities to the Egyptian government, reported that this was interpreted at Carter's house being broken into by the royal cobra. The same as the war, the same cobra worn on the king's head to strike enemies on the very day the king's tomb was broken into. An account of the incident was reported by the New York Times on December 22, 1922. The first of the mysterious deaths was that of Lord Carnarvon. He had been bitten by a mosquito and later slashed the bite accidentally while shaving. It became infected, resulted in blood poisoning, which you know, from a medical standpoint, the field I work in, uh, can be very, very um, severe to your health. It's very hard to fix, very hard to reverse. Two weeks before Carnarvon died, Marie Corelli wrote an imaginative letter that was published in the New York World magazine in which she quoted an obscure book that confidently asserted that dire punishment would follow to any insertion into uh, any... Um, breaking into or excursion into the sealed tomb. A media frenzy followed with reports that a curse had been found in King Tut's tomb, though this was untrue. The superstitions Benito Mussolini, who had accepted an Egyptian mummy as a gift, ordered its immediate removal from the Palazzo Chigi. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, creator of Sherlock Holmes, suggested that Lord Carnarvon's death had been caused by elementals created by King Tutankhamun's priest to guard the royal tomb and further fuel the media's interest. Okay, so what we're hearing now, um, based on this Wikipedia um, documentation on its website, is King Tut's tomb, the whole going into it and finding King Tut and everything that ensued afterwards with people and teammates dying was actually caused by... um, Crazy, crazy events, mosquito bite. Uh, it actually was later uncovered, which I didn't read here, but I do know, that 
when these people went into King Tut's tomb, they actually um, were inhaling a bacteria from the tomb. Now, when you do archaeological digs and you find a tomb or you find anything, especially like a uh, esophagus um, that has been buried for many, many years, if you open that tomb or you open the sarcophagus, um, again, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, there is air in there that has been trapped and bacteria that's been trapped for so many years. And obviously, if you breathe something like that in, you're doing your lungs a, you know, a detriment to your, to your lungs and you're, you're going to damage yourself. You're going to basically, you know, get sick. You're breathing in something that was sealed for so many years. It's like going into an older house and breathing in asbestos, okay? So what it basically came down to is in King Tut's tomb, there was a bacteria and a lot of the group members did breathe them in and ended up passing away. And as for that one gentleman's instincts, he was bit by a mosquito, which mosquitoes carry many diseases, Lyme disease, West Nile virus, and then he went over the cut. Obviously, he was shaving, it said, so it had to be on his face, the mosquito bite, and infected the bite furthermore, and he ended up ultimately getting a blood infection, which is actually not very easy to catch in the beginning. You know, you start feeling sick eventually when your blood's infected, and, you know, if you don't catch it soon, and like, you know, you feel sick, and you're like, oh, I'm just sick, and you don't really go to the doctor to check it out, the blood infection could just run rampant and ultimately you know, you're in basically Shit's Creek. Um, so everything that happened, it may have been eyebrow raising that, oh man, all these people are dying from these crazy um, predicaments. But scientifically, it was all proven that the events of everyone in that team passing away happened to be either from the bacteria in King Tut's tomb or some other fluke. What that gentleman saw on his route, um, the messenger seeing that cobra that i read on the wikipedia document uh on the wikipedia page that's to me is just a little weird but so be it so that was just one of the many um stories of curses and that was obviously one of the more famous one you know when you think of king tut you think of the historics to it but you also think about king tut's curse there are some people to this day that do believe curse the curse of king tut is real but science and doctors are going to tell you that it was from a bacteria in the tomb sealed up that these gentlemen that were doing this archaeological find and dig ended up breathing in, ultimately causing many of them to get sick. The, most, the second most famous curse story right under King Tut was um, a Polish man, I believe. And I'm going to quote HistoryChannel.com here. The curse of the Polish king tomb in 1973. A group of archaeologists opened the tomb of 15th century Polish king Kaznir IV Jeslin in Krakow, Poland. As with opening King Tut's tomb 50 years prior, the European media hyped up the event when some of the team members began to die shortly after. Some media, some media outlets claimed it was from a curse, but yet again, it was later discovered the members of the discovery died from traces of a deadly fungi inside the tomb that can cause lung illnesses, 
when breathed in. So we have another event of the media playing a let's amp this story up role, saying there was a curse now on this Polish um, this Polish king's tomb. But ultimately, the members of this team were breathing in a fungi. Um, you know, bacteria, fungi, uh, air from inside, something that's been, it's going to get this bacteria. Your lungs are not meant to breathe in certain things. Um, you know, people say vaping is bad, smoking is bad, asbestos is bad. This is things that your lungs can't handle. Now, if you're breathing in a fungi or a bacteria, then, you know, you're not doing your lungs no justice, as as I said before. And let's just face this. We are living in um, a pandemic. Everybody's wearing masks because masks are said to be a precautionary for you to spread COVID-19 and from you to basically inhale it um, from someone that potentially is sick around you. Um, I don't think at the time of these archaeological digs, 1973, 1923, these people were going into these tombs wearing masks. I don't think they had the knowledge to be cautious of bacteria that could potentially be in these tombs. Um, I'm sure now, I don't really know. I'm not an archaeologist and I don't really study that stuff too much anymore. But I don't think now archaeologists are going into these digs um, especially going underground or into these sand tombs, whatnot, and they're not wearing a mask. I am almost certain they are, especially if they're doing it now during a pandemic. For the most part, people wear masks inside um, and for the most part outside. But I would say if I was a betting man that archaeologists now, when they do something within the confines of uh, older environment or tombs they come across, they are most likely wearing a mask. Okay, so that was actually the second biggest um, archaeological curse story. Those two, King Tut and this Polish guy, which I <clears throat> butchered his name, Kaznir, the fourth Jeslin or Jaglin um, of Kharkov, Poland. I definitely butchered that. But those were actually the top two stories that I came across that involved curses. Now, when you talk about curses... You also have superstition and other things that correlate with curses. Now, if you listen to my um, one of my uh, later uh, earlier podcasts, I had mentioned supernatural truths. That was actually a whole episode of things that were on supernatural um, folklore, urban legends that the director and writer of uh, Supernatural. Um, ultimately used in the show for the brothers to go hunt these things. Um, the Wendigo, the ghost lady, the white uh, lady in white, um, crossroad demons, and so on and so forth. On the show, we had seen the usage of hex bags. Now, on the show Supernatural, hex bags were actually something that a witch or someone wanting to cause harm to someone well, they would put a piece of the person they were trying to harm, something personal to them, something that meant something to them, or even something that was attached to them like hair or a piece of skin, a toenail, what have you. They'd put this item in a, in a bag and I guess say some kind of spell or whatever, and they'd put the hex bag on, on the property or in the car of someone and bad things would begin to happen. If not bad things, death itself. Hex bags, as seen on many shows, including Supernatural, um, real hex bags actually really work to help an individual in holding it. A object of importance or even DNA had to be placed in the bag 
The longer someone held on to the bag, the greater the power of the hex bag would become. So hex bags actually worked for the person um, using it themselves as opposed to putting a hex bag on someone and hurting them. Um, there are four types of hex bags. I didn't know this until I did my research. Those that protect, those that heal, those that curse, and those that empower. A malicious hex bag, like we've seen on many episodes of Supernatural, a malicious hex bag would have to be actually placed on the person to work, unlike that has been seen on the show Supernatural, where it could be placed anywhere on property or in a person's house, so on and so forth. So a hex bag, if you wanted to do something malicious to someone, it actually had to be placed on the person physically. It couldn't just be placed on their car or whatever. But as I read and did my studies, hex bags actually worked to favor the person that was actually holding and using the hex bag. So basically someone would make a hex bag to potentially help themselves with one of the four hex bags that there were to protect, to heal, to curse, or empower. Obviously, the curse hex bag is not something that someone wanted to have on them and curse themselves. I would assume maybe that hex curse bag would be to be used towards someone that wasn't liked in um, among them. Um, but hex bags were actually used to benefit the person that created the hex bag. Um, so... Hex bags actually go along with curses because obviously, you know, if you did watch Supernatural or you do know about hex bags, they were actually a form of a curse that actually needed an object to to work. And the truth to it is it actually helped people um, that used it and they had to carry it for long periods of time to amplify the power and potentially work in their favor as opposed to it being anything malicious. In cultures... Um, different nationalities uh, around the world, there are actual culture curses. Now, I'm Italian, and the one cultural curse or superstition that Italians have is the Italian evil eye, the Malocchi. It's said in Italian culture, a person can stare at someone in such a way, causing the person that they are staring at um, to feel sick in the stomach or get a headache. I heard about this from my grandma. Um, I actually, as a kid, used to get really, really bad migraines. So bad where I'd feel them coming on. And if I didn't catch it with a children's aspirin, which actually did diddly squat for me, these chewable pur purple nasty aspirins my mom bought me because she knew I got headaches. Um, if I didn't catch it coming on, before, if, if it got to a certain point, it was over for me. Um, my day would be ruined. I would have this migraine for hours. I would actually get so sick from the headache, from the migraine, I would end up throwing up. And when the migraine subsided, I would um, be kind of blinded to light, which is telltale signs of really bad migraines. And I'm going to actually get into something in a later podcast about how my migraine stopped. Um, but that I'll save for... A later podcast. But when I got these headaches, my grandmother, God rest her soul, predominantly watched me and my brother um, a lot. And I'd come home from school with a headache or I would wake up in the morning with a headache. And my grandma would commonly say to me, someone put the moroki on you. And I would say, you know, what is that? And she would say the evil eye, you know, someone maybe don't like you and was staring at you the wrong way, causing you to get a headache. So, you know, like again, 
Italian culture, if you didn't like someone, basically you could just stare at them and give them the malocchi. Um, so my grandmother would say that to me. And apparently from something she learned through her family chain, she would actually rest me on her lap with my head on her lap and she would say a prayer. And when she started the prayer, she started yawning, yawning and yawning. And, you know, the one thing that kind of helps headaches is yawning. But she would just pat my head for about a minute and change saying a prayer and she would just constantly yawn. And oddly enough, it would it kind of help. And to her, this prayer was like a reversal of the malocchi. Um, so that's something that I wanted to share here in this podcast of Italian culture that we have a superstition of this evil eye. And um, my grandmother would do this prayer um, that would help me. And I asked her, you know, because I was still getting headaches at that time before I did something that actually helped my headache. Um, can you teach me? And she says, I can't teach you this prayer until Christmas Eve at midnight. And I said, well, I guess one Christmas Eve, I will come over to your house and sleep over and you can teach me the prayer. And, you know, not to get sentimental because, you know, I miss her dearly. I did that one Christmas and I stayed at her house. Um, I ended up eating there and going into the living room with her and she taught me the prayer and I wrote it down. And um, to this day, I still have the prayer in a box of mine with all my keepsakes and, you know, memories from the past that she had given me. And I wrote it down and she did teach me the prayer um, that supposedly fought or warded off the evil eye. Um, there is a Irish cultural curse um, with these things called cursing stones. And it was more in the Celtic time where they had these cursing stones where someone would go to a site of a saint or where the saint was buried or resided and they would turn the stone a certain direction to either A, benefit themselves, or turn the stone the opposite direction to curse someone. Um, this was like a Celtic-Irish thing that um, the Irish culture had. And I found it interesting because it was involving stones and going to an area where I believe maybe an Irish saint was buried or resided. And they would just turn some kind of stone that would either benefit them, sort of like the hex bag, and or curse someone else. So we have two famous archaeological curses that I had mentioned. We have two cultural curses. And I'm, I'm 100% sure I was actually looking into it. There's a lot more cultural curses. Um, Dominicans have um, a lot of superstition and what they call, even in the Puerto Rican um, nationality, and nationality and culture, um, they call it brujaria, which is basically a Spanish term, I believe, for witchcraft. Um, I did date a Dominican woman um, many years ago, and um, not to give you TMI, but her mother would her mother happened to like me, um, and wanted me to date her, you know, for life, you know, grow old with her and marry her and have kids and the whole nine yard. And um, the one thing her mom would say to her, and I, her mom spoke like just Spanish, very broken English. Her mom would speak Spanish to her and I would say, you know, what did your mom say? And she would turn to me and go, my mom wants me to put something in your coffee so that you can <laughs> make me pregnant and um, have my baby and be with me forever. And I was like, well, 
And in my eyes, that's kind of along the lines of uh, some kind of curse. I don't know if that's, you know, a actual curse or superstition with the Dominican culture, but I just found it funny. I had it added to my podcast with you guys because that's something that she'd predominantly tell me. Her mom wanted her to add a particular something from her and put it into the cup of coffee I would drink and, you know, knock her up. And well, that didn't happen. So, but that was something that she would say. And her mom was actually very superstitious and religious because when I did go to her apartment, um, I actually can't, I'm stumbling on the name, but there's, I get, oh, I'm sorry, Botanicas. You see these Botanicas, I guess they're, they're kind of like shops that have statues, right? Statues of saints, I would say. It's predominantly in the um, Spanish culture. She had these statues in her apartment, and this would actually freak me out. And when I'd go to her apartment, and there'd be statues, and she'd have candles around them. Sometimes the candles were lit, sometimes the candles weren't. And on certain days, the statues would have either an egg in front of it or a piece of Dominican-style cake that her mom baked. Um, a side note, those cakes were slamming. Um, and, you know, it was like a lot of superstition type stuff. And to me, that didn't really look too religious. It kind of looked like, you know, just weird to me. Um, you know, I, every culture has different superstitions, religions, ways of practice, practice religions uh, and or curses. So I just wanted to include that. Uh, don't quote me. I don't really know in depth what superstitions and curses the Dominican culture has have. I do know about brujeria. Um, and I do know what I told you is stuff that I physically seen, heard, and witnessed. So I had to throw that in there. There is also um, things that we, you know, we hear um, along the line of superstitions. Then I would say fall into the category of curse because if you have this superstition and you believe in it and you do one of these superstitions that I'm about to tell you, there would be some form of repercussions for doing that. Um, there are superstitions to actually stop yourself from getting cursed or getting bad luck. And we all heard of throwing salt over your shoulder. If you spill salt or you feel that you're going to get bad luck, you take salt, a pinch of it, and just throw it over your shoulder. And that actually it spawns from the ancient Romans and Buddhism and from the Buddhists. I, from my research, um, the whole throwing your salt over your shoulder thing spawned from the ancient Romans and the Buddhist tradition. We have, um, you know, when you tell a story to someone and, you know, you say something that you don't want to happen, you end up knocking on wood. Um, knocking on wood is actually from the Celtic, the Irish, and the Celts believed, the Celts believed that um, their gods lived amongst the earth and inside of trees. So when they wanted good luck or to ward off evil spirits, they would simply knock on a on a tree or a piece of wood because they believe their gods lived amongst the wood and amongst the earth. We also hear about avoiding the path of a black cat. A black cat has always been associated with witches. So when this superstition came about, the superstition was correlated with witches. And if you saw a black cat, the chances are that cat was owned by a witch. And that's why they tell you when you see a black cat, avoid the black cat. Never walking under ladders, right? We, well, honestly, you don't want to walk under a ladder because if you see a ladder, that means work is going on above you. Um, this superstition actually came from the Egyptians. 
the Egyptians believe that, I guess when they were doing work or what have you, the space in between is where the gods and, and ghosts or what have you, um, re- they roamed. They, they didn't roam around, you know, just out and about. They basically stayed or resided within the in-between, kind of like Stranger Things type thing, you know, the upside down. So the Egyptians believed that under a ladder or in between, that's where their gods or spirits would roam. And that's why we can't, we have this superstition of not walking under a ladder. Although we do know that if you're in Manhattan and you see a ladder, don't walk under it because, you know, there's a good chance that something could fall on top of you. Don't break a mirror. Okay. That's just something that I actually can't find the reference or um, where that came from. Uh, You know, they say that if you break a mirror, that you're going to get bad luck. And obviously the whole opening an umbrella in the house thing, again, I couldn't find where that came from, but obviously if you open an umbrella in the house, you know, I heard as a kid, if you open an umbrella in the house, you're going to get struck by lightning when you leave the house. Well, obviously opening an umbrella in the house, especially if in a crowded house, is just not a good idea because someone's going to get poked in the eye. So we have our top two cursed archaeological historical um, discoveries that were said to have a curse that we now know was actually scientifically proven to be from bacteria and fungi. We have the um, superstitions and then we have some of the um, cultural curses that or beliefs that I had told you about. Ultimately, my opinion on curses um, and superstitions is, again, your brain is the most powerful thing on you, not your muscles, not your hands, not your feet, your brain. Whatever you believe will come true. I'm sure your parents at some point or your friends will tell you, don't put yourself down. Whatever you put your mind to, you can do, right? Same thing goes with the concept of curses. If you come across someone that scares the bejesus out of you and that person looks at you in the store or wherever you are and says you are now cursed, if you're, more, if you're that gullible to believe that person just cursed you, the chances are when you go home, weird and odd things are going to start to happen. If you fall sick from a stomach virus, you're going to believe that person that cursed you, you getting that stomach virus is from the curse. Your mind, what you believe, and the mood you put yourself into is going to correlate whether or not you believe in curses. Now, I said that I felt at one point that I was cursed, and that's just because of the luck I had with a certain category. The fact of the matter is, if you believe in something, that's your belief, and you're going to stand your ground. Today, religion, um, if you believe in Jesus, that's your faith. And you believe everything that's in the Bible. If you believe in Buddhism, if you believe um, in whatever, you know, if you have that firm belief, you're going to believe it no matter what. And, you know, you might think something like hitting the lotto one day was a sign from God. Like, you know, thank you for being a, a gracious person. At the end of the day, it's the same concept, curses. If you believe there are curses and they're real and you believe in superstitions and you end up breaking a mirror in your house and you have bad luck... Your belief in curses and superstition is going to take whatever happens forward. And if you believe in it and you break a mirror and bad luck starts to happen, it's because you actually believe in it. That's your mind and ultimately your mind playing tricks. Um, So I hope you enjoyed this episode of Say What Again, Billy, and it was all about curses and some historical stuff. Um, 
I like to thank the Anchor app for letting me. I didn't thank them last time and I apologize, but I do thank the Anchor app because they gave me the mean the means and the needs to do my podcast and I always wanted to do a podcast and if I did a podcast it would be exactly what I'm talking about right now. So thank you Anchor. I have my IG page. It's say what again Billy podcast all with underscores in between the words. Say what again Billy. Say underscore what underscore again underscore Billy underscore podcast. I am on Twitter um swab underscore podcast w s w a b underscore podcast. I'm on Twitter. I do post things. I've been trying to post what I'm going to talk about um, on there so you can get a basically a preview. So everybody that came back to give another listen to my podcast, thank you. Try to get it out there to your friends that believe in the paranormal and the UFOs and all that stuff. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to give you guys great material. And until next time, this has been another episode of Say What Again, Billy. Billy.